Today's first scripture reading comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13, and can be found on page 790 of the Pew Bibles. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22, and can be found on page 1174 of the Pew Bibles. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we'd like to wish each one of you a happy and blessed 2023. Well, if you don't really want one, that's <laughs> totally up to you. It's a free world in this moment. As we approach 2023, I was remembering, you see, I'm so old, I could remember back when we approached 2000. And everybody kind of checked out your computer to make certain it didn't crash or was about to crash. And we thought, oh my, the beginning of the end. And yet God in his providence has kept us and led us and brought us here. And uh, I was just reading recently something that my wife pointed out to me about the importance for parents as they raise children not to be in the sense of fear and anxiety of, oh my, what a world they inherit in 2023. The article went on to express that God has brought them into this world, that they could actually live for God within the world that they are coming into in 2023. And just as we also who are still here have that opportunity. So we'd like to welcome each one who's here in this January 1st of 2023. Also those who are joining us on Zoom, thank you for making the effort to be with us in that way. And of course, we'd love to see you in person whenever that is possible. Now, most of us have at some point in our life made New Year's resolutions. Or are they something you don't do culturally in Switzerland or the place that you've come from? You know, New Year's resolutions are those type of things that you said, I didn't do it in 2022, but I think I will in 2023. I used to make several of those. And then I realized that they tended to be broken within about the first two weeks of January. Often they were, I'm going to work out more physically. 
or I'm going to eat less, or whatever it might be. And I didn't find that to be so helpful. So what do we do as we look at 2023? Well, the reality is, as we look at 2023, the only one who knows what is coming, the only one who knows what the future is, is God himself. And so as we look at 2023, it's important that we think about what God has intended, what God has spoken. And therefore, these two Bible passages, these two portions of Scripture that were read to us this morning, many of you have read that section from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11, 12, and 13, about God's promises. He says, my intent, my plan, my thoughts for you are good. Now, to be very honest, sometimes we as Christians quote only verses 11, 12, and 13, where he promises that his thoughts and his plans are good, and then that he will come and visit us and then if we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. But of course, verse 10 says, and once you have completed the 70 years in Babylon where I have sent you to discipline you, then I want to come back to you and tell you that my thoughts for you are good. My plans for you are good. And I will come and I will visit you and God coming and being personal with us. And he says, if we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. But I found that the context of that, in some senses, makes these promises of God even more meaningful when coming out of a difficult time. And that's a characteristic of God which with we struggle. How can God discipline us when he loves us? Anyone a parent here? One of the most difficult and yet realities that we face. And then we read from Ephesians chapter 2. And the idea there was that we are no longer, we are no longer different in that sense of being Gentile or Jew or from many different backgrounds. But he talks about we have this foundation. Do you remember what he read or how it was read to us? It says that we are built on the foundation as church, as Christians, upon the prophets and the apostles. Now, where do you find the writings of the prophets and the apostles? His Bible. Much of the Old Testament is made up of the writings of the prophets. The New Testament made up of the writings of the apostles. And he's saying, that is the foundation upon which we stand. And as we move into 2023, that is the foundation. And then he uses this example again of Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Remembering that at that day, the way of building was not lintel and post as we have in our present day world, but it was the Roman arch. And so the cornerstone or the chief cornerstone or the capstone was not left nor right. It was that stone in the middle that was placed at the very end of the building of the arch, but upon which everything leaned and found its support. And he says Jesus is that. So the foundation are the writings of his scripture to us and the, what holds us together 
together is the Lord Jesus himself. He's the cornerstone, the capstone. We're being built together, and that's a wonderful promise at the end. The purpose of it is that in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I think as we go into 2023, there are certainly from these scriptures two things. One is that the plan and intent of God for us is good. That doesn't mean that life is all simple and wonderful. It means it is good because God is there. And then secondly, that God's intent with us is to build us into a place where God lives, God dwells. And his spirit is active within us. Now this morning, I want to talk to us about IPC's core values. When Lois and I first came here to IPC, you know what, that's been just over 12 months. When they recruited us, they said, why don't you come for three months? That'll probably be all that we'll need you to come for. And we thought, wonderful, we come for three months. But we must say it has been an absolute delight. And we really believe it's been God's time and place for us. We're very thankful. But as I came, I read much of the history that I could find of IPC. And as I read the history from the first documents which people gave to me, and I have now sitting on a shelf in the office there, you're all welcome to read them should you have interest, I found that there were two statements repeated from some of the original or very early documents of the church and actually have been repeated again in very recent documents. And you know what they said, they either named it as core values or the essential truths that we embrace as IPC and they were these two things. One is the authority of Scripture or the authority of God's Bible at the beginning of the church and right through, actually, when we met in May of last year and had the all-church retreat and we did some discussion sessions on values and who we are and why we exist and what's important to us, do you know that that value came back immediately? The authority of the Scripture. And the second one was and is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's where you have begun. That is where you have continued. And that is where you were as of May 2022. And then as we looked at that in May 2022, and you remember the discussions, and that came out of that part of the verse of 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul gives a definition of church that it is the household of God. It's the church of the living God. And it is that pillar and upholder of truth. And the question we discussed is, what are those truths that we uphold? That IPC is literally a pillar. We are not that truth, but what do we uphold? What makes us who we are? And those we came back with as being the values of IPC. And there were many, many sheets of response. But do you know what? Those two values 
came through on the majority of all the feedback. The authority of the scriptures and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Then they added, and I think we had initially about nine points, and as I was looking through, I think actually some of those points can be made into subpoints. The next one that came that appeared on almost every, almost every feedback sheet was family. We are this unique international from every background family, but we have the unity of being the children of God, knowing God, and growing together in God. A wonderful expression. And then the next was the value of prayer, and the final one that was of mission, of teaching Jesus locally and across the world. Now, I would like to take this morning and just talk about those first two. And maybe we could get to number three. So what and the why and what are the results of the authority of the Bible? Let me just read to you from Mark first chapter. It is as Jesus begins his preaching. You know and you will all have read where when Jesus came, the very first message he gave is the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. But I want to read to you just a few verses following that, beginning in verse 21, and listen to what those who heard Jesus preaching and teaching, what they said. And as they came into Capernaum, that's he and his disciples, Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. Listen. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. He's in what they would call the house of God. And there, the scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of what should have been the word of God were there also, but then came Jesus. And what the people said is, when he teaches, there is this authority which we have not heard before. Because, of course, he is God. But it doesn't say that any of the religious people shouted out, rather, this person. Listen. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Listen, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying in a loud voice, came out of him. <clears throat> and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves. Listen to the discussion saying, what's this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread all across Galilee. Well, Dennis, why do you read us that scripture? I read it because it, as almost no other scripture, describes the authority of God in our world, in our place. And we say that a core value at IPC is the authority of the Scriptures. 
Why do we say that? What does that then therefore mean? And let me read to you again 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. But as for you, continue in what you've learned about and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how that from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures or the writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what does this tell us about this word of God and why it has authority in our lives and in our church? The very first thing it says, it is God-breathed. And when you look in a lexicon or you look in an interlinear, the definition of that is it is coming out of God. It's breathed out of God. What a claim. That's why it has authority. Not because there are 66 books that we appreciate. Not because there are X number of verses. But because it comes from God. And God has spoken to it through us. And through that then, part of that is our understanding. It gives us a revelation of God. Our understanding of who He is and how He functions in the lives of men and women, we find by the way we, as we read and we study and we see who He is. You see, if today we're seated here and we have a concept or an understanding of God which does not match to what the Bible reveals of God, then our concept is not accurate. Because this is the authority because it's God breathed. And God reveals himself through it. But then in the next verse he says, to, through the, you received the wisdom that led to salvation. So not only does the Bible have the authority in the sense it's God breathed, and it gives us our understanding of who God is, but it also outlines, gives directions to, and defines this concept of salvation, this concept of being lost and then becoming God's child. And it doesn't describe it as some type of tradition or actions that we take. Rather, it describes it as a deep personal relationship with God. Where God has come and there has been an eternal work in our soul by God forgiving us and as a sign, as an assurance that we have been forgiven, placing His Holy Spirit within us. And we know that He is there. You see, in the Bible, these scriptures, the authority, Jesus Himself has said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is an exclusiveness that the Bible teaches us. Is the gate open and wide? Absolutely. Whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world, but there is only, according to the authority of the Bible, the one way through Jesus Christ. And that is recorded as a 
worked through that in the book of Acts chapter 15. You remember that's the account where those who had been raised as Jews became believers in Jesus. And then those who were Gentiles who had not come, they also became believers in Jesus. But there was this contention in chapter 15. And the Jewish people who said, we have been the people of God, therefore if you want to be a person of God, you become Jewish and then you become Christian. And the way you show that you're Jewish is you be physically circumcised. And the church of the Jews, Christian Jews said, and the only way is that way. And then Paul came and he said, no. And he and Peter had extensive discussion. And finally he said to them, but when God saved, he said, Peter, you were even there preaching And all of a sudden, God's Spirit came and the Gentiles that were there were saved. God came and we saw God being demonstrated in their lives. And if God's Spirit doesn't make a distinction, how then, therefore, may we make that distinction? And one of the greatest unities is at the end of chapter 15. They write and they say, we are saved by grace. Through grace, the work of God, by faith in what Jesus Christ has done alone. It's a powerful thing. You see, that's the authority of the scriptures. And to salvation. And then, of course, these verses that we read have, the next bit has four things for which they are useful for teaching us, instructing us, for correcting us, or rebuking us, for correcting and then for training in righteousness. And again, it defines the authority of Scripture. It teaches us God's way. You see, it has direction. The Bible doesn't probably address everything in life, and yet the principles of right, wrong, godliness, how we worship Him, how we come to Him, how we find eternal life, And then how we live our life in a godly manner. And this is first, it says it teaches us, so it instructs us. But then the next one says it it, uh, rebukes us or it corrects us. And that really, the origin of that word means it brings conviction. In other words, there is a moment when the scripture speaks to us and they says, no. Or it says, this is wrong or this is sin or this is not God's way. Now, I don't know about you, but I did find that when I was about two years old, do you know what my favorite word was? Actually, when we raised children, I remember reading the books at that time about child raising, and I kind of giggled. I laughed, I meant, in my inner person. Because it said there, when your child reaches about two years old, he or she is going to have one favorite word. And that word is No. And I thought, not our kids. I mean, look at the parentage. They're going to just say, yes, mom. Yes, dad. Do you know what their favorite word was? And I was surprised. Do you know what my favorite word sometimes when God says to me, no, is? You see, that correction by God is not because he is seated in heaven and wants to 
beat us into submission. No, no, no. That correction by God is because he loves us. And so it goes on, then he not only rebukes us, he not only causes conviction, but then he corrects us. In other words, he says, not this way, but this way. Isn't that a marvelous thing about God? When we say, yes, I follow you, Lord, he doesn't say, not this way only, but he says, but this way. Sometimes we need to stop and to listen, but then he speaks. And so he, that and to be trained in righteousness in the way to live godly. I know no other way in 2023 that we can live godly than by the authority of God's scriptures. And then he says the purpose is that we are equipped. So that is the authority of the scriptures. God breathed, revelation of God, salvation, useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, that we would be equipped to serve God in 2023. Now the second core value that with the beginning of the church and back in May again, he has continued as the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we could take that in two meanings. One meaning that we believe he is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yes, we do believe that. But also, in this case, it's also referring to a different level of Christianity of our faith being lived out. Maybe it's that bit where it says, and as Paul describes church in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that aspect, that phrase, the church of the living God. You see, as Christ is Lord in our lives, then we people should be able, we and others should be able to recognize that this is a life in which God is living. The Bible often describes him as the head in Ephesians 4.15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, and then it's easy to remember these two passages, Romans 12, both use the illustration of a body. And we are all members of the body having different functions, different gifts, different abilities. But the head of that body is Christ. Which means then, if we take that as the lordship of Jesus Christ, what does it mean? Well, we would worship him. And it certainly means not living Christianity by doing the minimum. If I just do this much, I make it to eternity. No, no, no. It is a life that is in the maximum for Christ. Which certainly means that we worship him, we obey him, when we know that it is Christ and we know it is not. You know, sometimes the moment of God speaking is just a still, small voice. Excuse this personal illustration, but as I was thinking about this this morning, it hit me again. Let me use it. It's foolish because it was when I was preteen. My parents bought me a bow and arrow and I got so I could shoot that quite well. And I remember one day standing in the open area in front of our house which was a farm with acres and I remember thinking I think I am able to shoot this arrow straight up. Absolutely. And I remember, so I pulled back, I arched my arms, and I pulled the bow, and 
I let it go. And then as I stood there, I realized there's no wind today. If you shot it straight at its peak, it's going to slow, stop, turn, and come down. And there was this little voice in my mind, Dennis, you need to move. <laughs> Seriously. And I remember thinking, ah, should I move or should I not? And at the end, I took one step to the right. Do you know where that arrow came? One step to the left. If I would have survived, my life would have been totally different. Now, why do I say that? Because there came this impression, this moment. Dennis, you need to move. You see, in the Lordship of Christ, whether it's through providence, whether however it is, we need to obey. And that will mean that we need to pursue the will of God for our lives. We need to know what God says is right and what God says is wrong. And as we do that and we follow that, then of course we can expect the Spirit of God and the fruit of God's Spirit of joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith, to be alive in us. Because he's the head. We know that we are forgiven would be part of this lordship of Christ. There's that moment where the spirit of God has entered and has cried out, Abba, Father, and our spirit has responded, Abba, Father, to him. There's a transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Behold, if any person is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. This lordship of Christ means that somewhere in life we're not perfect and we are at best messy, but we realize that there is this moment where the old is passing and the new is coming. God at work. God in us. And as we go through that, or Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed by the world. Or don't be, as one translation, pushed into the mold of the world. But be transformed. And the Greek word there is metamorpho, from which we say metamorphosis. You started a caterpillar, and now you're a butterfly. And that process which takes place as God works within our lives. That transformation, I was there and now I'm not perfect, but God is moving me here to serve you. Wow. So those are two of our first core values. The authority of God's scriptures. And the lordship of Christ in our lives. And oh, church, I think if we live with those two being not only truths that we put on our wall, but truths by which we make decisions, choices, and live our lives, I think it will result in our core value number three, family. That we will have a group of people, extended family of God, to share life and to grow together with. And my prayer for each of us is that we'd remember in 2023 that God's plan and purpose is good.
and his promises, we seek him with our whole heart. We will find him. Wouldn't you like at December 31st, 2023, to be able to look back and retrospect and say, the most amazing thing about 2023 is God came and I found him. May that be true for you, each one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning. Thank you that we've been able to begin a new year together. And Lord, it is amazing that in your providence, in your grace, in your goodness, we are amazed that you think about us, you plan for us. And I pray for each one who is here this morning that 2023 would be a year of experiencing God, but also, Lord, a year of knowing that we are walking and that we do have the Lordship of Christ in our lives. And our lives are guided by the authority of your scriptures, your Bible. And then, Lord, we would become acutely aware of the family of God that you've given us at IPC. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.